This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Jenna Franconi has been in digital marketing so long, she fondly remembers the day she pushed out the first Instagram post for Barbie. But social media marketing has changed significantly since those days. Today, loan marketers aren't the only ones worried about hitting send on a post at the right time. Instead, brands now have teams of social content creators who monitor trends and leverage a brand's voice to get personal with customers and entice and engage them at each point of the buying journey. For years, we have been saying that brands do not need to be investing in organic content. That makes a ton of sense. But if you're just trying to participate in a cultural conversation by throwing out content, that's sort of like old school those days are over. And now really sophisticated marketers are using the channels to reach these audiences. We're not screaming through a megaphone. We're like laser targeting people to give them something that's either helpful or educational, or it is within their buying path. Jenna is the co-founder and managing director of Trade School, an integrated content shop that works with big brands such as Home Depot and FedEx. On this episode of Marketing Trends, she reveals just how the social media landscape has evolved from the wild, wild west of marketing into an integral piece of every marketer's toolkit. Plus, Jenna touches on the evolution of influencer marketing and why it's important that every brand and creative agency understand why and how to effectively deploy a successful influencer strategy. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey marketers, today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever, and every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy, and you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account, speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every dash buyer. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Jenna, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Ian? That's wonderful to have you on the show today. I am back after a a short uh, short break that our listeners probably couldn't even detect um, after uh, we just had our our baby here. So uh, I got I have less sleep than ever, um, but a sharper marketing mind, I suppose, <laughs> for today. Congratulations, that's amazing. Thank you, and uh, congratulations on all of your success uh, at Trade School. We're going to be talking about marketing there and your background. So let's get into it. How did you get started in marketing in the first place? You know, I um, I started in PR actually right out of school um, at a small shop in Atlanta. And then I was doing some work for Delta Airlines and clients like that based in Atlanta. And then some of the guys that I went to college with actually started some internet companies as they were called at the time, um, College Humor. And like some of their friends started Tumblr. And I just remember thinking like, this is so cool. This is happening. PR felt very... Um, very stale, quite frankly, for, for my age and what I was doing. So I, I ended up moving up to New York and kind of very luckily uh, arriving to the social media party a little early to the game. So I, I started working at a shop up there and it was a, it was a 
primarily a social media agency kind of doing early influencer marketing. I'm dating myself, but this was back in, in the days kind of when CEOs and CMOs were, were saying, you know, we need to be on the Facebook and they, they didn't really know what that me- meant and how to, how to invest. And um, so anyway, I, I ended up growing really quickly with that, with that agency and overseeing the consumer. It was called the consumer and lifestyle practice. And I primarily focused on the Mattel global account. So I did everything. I was Barbie's first copywriter. I posted the first, um, her first Instagram from my desk. And, but then I eventually ended up overseeing that team and we built like a global, um, CMS. We built a global team that was translating in like 14 countries. And so anyway, it was just, it was the wild, wild West. And I honestly was just really lucky that I was there when, when things exploded in that space. And, and then I eventually moved back down to Atlanta and worked at an advertising agency called 22 Squared, which is now my sister agency. Um, we, a group of us there worked on sort of social content focused accounts. And we knew, or we recognized pretty early that, that we needed sort of a different skill set. We needed different processes, operations, et cetera. So we pitched the idea to spin off um, those types of accounts into our own shop. And we did that about 15 months ago and, and trade school was born. So I have to know what, what was it like getting into character for, for Barbie's voice when you're tweeting from her, from her perspective here? Well, I, I mean, got to tell you, it was so hilarious for me personally, because I was not, I did not play with Barbies growing up. I was more of like a GI Joe girl. So I had to really like, I used to carry the dolls around in my, in my backpack around New York city. And I would think about like, I would take pictures of her on the subway or sitting by the West side highway. And I had to sort of like get into character, but she has a very distinct voice, as you can imagine. And it was very organic in the beginning. And then by the end, you know, we had a team, of, I don't know, eight people tweaking and, and um, writing that copy. But she's she's a cool girl. And it was fun to write for her. That is so funny, especially what a, what a marketing, uh, what a classic marketing example where it's like, you know, you you spend uh, you spend your whole life. uh you know, doing one thing. And then it's like, you get, you get the job where it's like, actually, you're going to speak from a totally different perspective or have to, uh, uh, have to write copy or or create campaigns for something that you've, you've never even used in the first place. No, totally. I I think that's one of, I mean, working agency side, you learn, I learned a lot about planes when I worked on Delta. I learned a lot about wine when I worked on those accounts. It's, it's really interesting. You get to like these master classes and all these different subjects, because you have to learn your account inside out. So I know a lot about, about Barbies. I know a lot about, um, now I know a lot about construction because one of our big accounts at trade school is Home Depot. So I've learned a lot about home improvement and that industry. So you would never normally be exposed to all these different industries and categories. So that's been awesome. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about trade school. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, we don't even, to be totally honest, know how to talk about it yet. There's not really any other shop out there that looks like us. So what we landed on is that it's an integrated content shop. So we generally kind of in the marketplace sit between, you know, big integrated creatively led agencies and then smaller production houses. We saw some white space in the middle there. And, um, and our primary um, differentiator is that we create, you know, massive amounts of content at scale and we do so efficiently and cost effectively for, and most of our clients are big brands. So we, we call ourselves a content shop, but we have, you know, insight 
driven teams that help, you know, help the why of the content. And then we, we have all of our makers and we have a bunch of scrappy, really junior folks that have kind of grown up in this different world of making and technology and automation and, and design. And then we have the, what we call the partnership group, which is the group that internally and externally gets it all done. So it makes it happen. So we kind of condensed the big agency model down to those three areas and kind of got closer to the work. And we call it trade school because, you know, tradesmen traditionally and in, in trade schools, what you know, historically accelerated their tradesmen into the marketplace. And we, we kind of feel the same way about content. Our, our shop allows big brands to accelerate work into the marketplace to work hard for their businesses and connect with their consumers. So, and, and the other piece is that we were really not precious about a whole lot. So, you know, we care about the craft and at our core, we're a creative enterprise, but we also believe that, you know, you never stop learning. So that kind of school mentality um, is kind of built into our DNA as well. Obviously, we're going to talk a ton about content in this episode, but I want to start with learning more about, you know, trade school and some of the companies that you work with, because um, it seems like when you're creating content that, you know, for companies big and small, that there's like someone like a Home Depot has so many different needs and is has such a complex kind of landscape um, versus someone who's like, you know, like a, a different, different, smaller size company. So who are the types of folks that you work with? Um, what are your kind of ideal customers? So we're 15 months out of the gate. So we have a pretty small client roster right now, deliberately, and, you know, five big clients and three of those are Fortune 50 companies. So we definitely, you know, what we've built is certainly, you know, mapping to large, sophisticated brands that have, you know, usually it's kind of three things. They they have a sophisticated audience strategy, right? So they, they either sit on a bunch of their own first party data, or they partner with third-party data companies to get that. And they have very segmented marketing strategies. So there's a lot of need for personalization, which unlocks, as you can imagine, a giant inventory of content. So that's one is that they're usually pretty data-driven. Um, two is that they have large budgets to be able to support all of that content out in the world with paid media um, and on their owned properties and be able to invest in those. And then the third is that they are usually, you know, we work with a lot of retailers. We work with companies that are able to track the ROI of the content, right? It's not, this is not like content calendars or national donut day type stuff. This is truly hyper, hyper targeted custom and personalized content that then they have the ability to, you know, through their whatever tech stacks they sit on and how they're measuring things, they have the ability to, to measure the ROI, ROI pretty specifically. So those three characteristics tend to, you know, lie within large organizations. So, so far that's been really where we've focused our efforts and where clients, we have found that we map best to clients. And, and like I said, we, we sit the roster We're we are not, you, you know, the brand agency, we are not the creative AOR. We're really a partner to those agencies and those vendors for our clients. And, and sometimes we work together. Sometimes we have kind of our own special, special projects, but we're really focused on the, the volume and the personalization of the content. I'm glad that you mentioned uh, bucking the trend against content calendars. I have a personal vendetta and war against content calendars as well. Well, not really that, not really that big of a war, but a little bit just for the fact of how many people kind of just treat this kind of thing that 
your audience doesn't really care about as this like kind of gospel thing when in actuality it just makes stuff easier to create and not focused on like the importance of of the of the finished work um you know it's like no tv show or something like that yeah. is you know thinking about their content calendar they're thinking about making a great show within you know budget and resources and all that yeah, no, totally. I actually have a, um, like a hate, hate relationship with content calendars. As you can imagine, I grew up in the industry, you know, you know, filling that inventory, but I, I would say in this, you know, I, I don't think this is as controversial as it used to be, but for years we have been saying that like pretty much brands do not need to be investing in organic content. I mean, there's, there are giant brands that use it for customer service and for response and CSR and things like that. That makes a ton of sense. But if you're just like trying to participate in a cultural conversation by throwing out content that, you know, that sort of like old school, you know, just show me my Oreo Super Bowl tweet kind of thing that, that I feel like those days are over. And now really sophisticated marketers are using the channels to, you know, reach these audiences. They, they Again, the data has allowed for this to happen, but, you know, we're not screaming through a megaphone. We're like, laser targeting people to give them something that's either helpful or educational, or it is, you know, within their buying path and we accelerate them to that. So anyway, all that is to say that that's not a calendar. That's, you know, the calendar disappears when you start talking about connecting with customers on that one-to-one level. Yeah, there you go. I like it. Hate, hate. I'll I'll take that. I'll take that too. (laughs) Um, But I no, I think you're totally right. So what would, what would be your, you know, if you're sitting down with a new client or prospective client um, who has kind of an old school way of thinking about things, what would you say like your content strategy would be going forward? So even the words content strategy is interesting. I mean, I'm sure you guys talk about this a lot, that the word content can mean 500 different things and the word content strategy can mean 500 different things. So I actually sort of, it sounds like I'm just negative about everything, but I also sort of have a hate-hate relationship with the word content because it's just very open for interpretation. I totally I think agree. At Trade School, we've really moved away from, you know, what is your enterprise content strategy and, and think way more about what are your audience strategies, right? So Home Depot is a great example. So, you know, years ago, we would say we, w- we would have some level of specificity around who we were targeting. But now you can say, we know this group of people or this person bought this vanity. So based on the propensity models, we know that there's three holes in that vanity. So they can buy, you know, these 10 faucets. We know their household income is X, Y, Z. So we can serve them the decor-based faucets that fit in that vanity, that fit with their aesthetic and serve them that ad. And that gets them, again, it gets them to, they might not buy that specific faucet, but that's getting them that much closer to what they need to get that project done. That's a very different type of connection with a customer than, you know, trying to change hearts and minds or the Google zero moment of truth, you know, philosophy that came out so many years ago. I've never forgotten that because it just felt like that was the beginning of the collapse of the, you know, what was traditionally the funnel or the, you know, the customer journey. And so now you can, you can buy things, your, your path to purchase or your path to connection with brand can be an infinite number of things with a zigzag path. And so I think brands jobs these days are to do both. There's still a a reason to connect emotionally and tell your brand story and stand for something, but there's also literally an infinite number of ways to, to meet people where they are and help them. So anyway, we believe that content and digital social influencer, you know, media has the ability to do that. And I think you 
experience it, I'm sure having a new baby. I mean, I remember the first time I got served an ad on Facebook about like, it's time for your baby to move up to the next size diapers. And I was so freaked out slash like, thank you. I absolutely do need to move to the size twos. And I bought them right through there, you know? So it's a, it's a convenience play. It's the world that we live in now, but you know, if you do it right as a brand, I think you can serve, you know, a purpose and, and, and help people in their lives versus freak them out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to, to put a, um, finer point on that is like, what is the relationship that you want to have with your customers is the better question. And then what content you fit into that is kind of the secondary thing. And I think for, for a lot of people, they kind of thought the opposite way because the marketing team is like, Hey, we want to be this, but the company wasn't really doing that. Right. It's like, Hey, we're going to create a bunch of advertising for our TV spots to reach, you know, a bunch of people to say what kind of company we are rather than being able to just actually be that type of company and then creating assets that are that fulfill that promise. So for example, it's like, you know, with with Home Depot, you know, for example, they're trying to help people figure out all of these different things and you can walk in there and talk to somebody and they're going to help you do that or you could go to the website and they could help you do that or um, you could see it in kind of the works that they do. But at the end of the day, like all of those things are generally just trying to help people figure it out and obviously get get those customers for life. And I think that a lot of people end up creating content that just doesn't fit what their company is trying to do anyways. So mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't really speak to kind of like their their brand purpose or ethos or anything like that. Yeah. Well, and I think like the, you know, again, relationships are built over time through micro moments and connections. So you learn to trust a brand or know that you can get what you need from a brand. It's not always this big giant declaration that you're like, and now I'm a fan for life. You know, it's like you have all of those different touch points. And over time, you know, things like customer lifetime value are hard to measure, but they're, they're the priority for, for big brands like Home Depot and our other clients, FedEx, like these are lifetime customers and, and those touch points along the way matter. And not all of them have to be big. In fact, they shouldn't be um, because those little moments matter too. So you wouldn't say content strategy per se, um, because content's a loaded word. A similar sister to this would be what's your video strategy uh, that I'm sure you hear a ton or your you know, podcast strategy or your written strategy. How do you think about kind of the, the way that different things are delivered, the different mediums and how they engage with the different platforms? Um, because I think that part of the issue that people have is like you said, there's infinite opportunities now. There's all sorts of different mediums. There's all sorts of different ways that people can do things. And if you're saying your video strategy, well, does that mean feature length documentaries? Does that mean a TV show? Does that mean, you know, the ads you're running on, you know, in the Super Bowl? Or does that mean, you know, social videos on TikTok? Well, and I liken, this is like the modern question to what used to be like, what time of day should we post to get the best, you know, the most totally, likes on yeah, Facebook? Remember that? Yep, like uh-huh. Tuesdays at four o'clock. And, and, and so I would say that the way we think about things at trade school is less about the format or the medium and more about the way 
the consumer is engaging with that channel or that medium, right? So we're all making pictures, words, and videos. That's the like dirty little secret of advertising. There's everybody's making the same, those things exist across every agency, every partner, but the way that you make them and where you put them and how people engage with them is, you know, the difference, right? So podcast is a great example. The way I listen to podcasts as a, I'm not going to say my age, but as a you know, geriatric millennial mom is very different than <laughs> than the way that my younger sister listens to them, you know, while she's working out with her infinite amounts of free time. So even the way that we place ads, you know, on digital audio with like the formats of our video, it's, I think there's room and, and purpose for all different types of formats, length, um, the way that, you know, we tell different stories in different formats in different ways, but it's about what you're trying to communicate. So I'll use another Home Depot example. So we have we have a, a series that we just launched called How to Undo. And it's focused on, you know, new homeowners and all the mistakes that you kind of make when you first own your first home and how to undo some of the DIY work that that you do. And it's it's kind of like got some humor in it. We worked with an influencer who um who hosts it, but also does a lot of DIY work on his own channels. And it's a longer form almost like episodic content series. Right. And that's very, you know, lean in the episodes are not, you know, 10 minutes. So you have to cut, you know, you have to commit to it, but they live on YouTube and we have found a subscriber base where we're serving the units that drive people to watch that. But then there's also like, there's a ton of other content that's short form or quick, you know, tips and things like that, that live in different social channels. And so there, again, there's a buzzword that we use that I don't hate, which is like the content architecture, right? So you can think of an idea of what, what are you trying to communicate? What are we trying to sell? How are we trying to connect with our customers? Like the beautiful minds, you know, at trade school and at other agencies like ours can kind of create the inventory map of where that all lives. You're not reaching everyone in, in the same way. So how do you, where, where do you place the right formats, the right connection points? And then we create content off of that map. So instead of going to shoot a bunch of stuff and then afterwards saying, how do we cut this all down? Where should it live? We do all of that work ahead of time with a ton of rigor. And then that creates the inventory with which we either create or, you know, go shoot our production, whatever it is. So anyway, I think, I think we almost like reverse engineer that and figure out where, you know, how do we want consumers to interact with what we're doing and, you know, create from there versus, you know, we need to create five, nine second videos and three, you know, we don't start with that. We start with how people will engage with it. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I think, especially when you're creating something episodic, which is going to be a series, which is going to be something that that people can follow and they can find on their channel or they can subscribe to somewhere. I think it is really important to think about things in a long term horizon. And I think that so many people, I mean, we do this a lot, but instead of thinking about things as like, hey, let's just think about the pilot episode or the pilot season, it's like, what would this look like for 10 seasons? And I think that, you know, you see this a lot of times in Hollywood when people get it yeah. wrong, right? Where it's like season seven is awful. Cause it's like, yeah, they, cause they wrote the first season and they're like, if we get renewed, we'll figure out season two, right? But if you at least think of, of your shows, in that way or your content in that way of like, I'm going to do all this work to bring people to create this character or multiple characters or this thing. And then we're going to bring a bunch of people to it. 
and then abandon it after six episodes. Like, yeah, that worked really well. Okay, what's the, what's the next campaign? It's like, the, it just is such an old school way of thinking. It makes absolutely no sense when you could create something that, um, that somebody, you know, follows on Instagram and, you know, they continually post that for the next five years. Like you see some of these like meme accounts or different things. Meme yeah. accounts may be a bad example, but, but some of these people that like you, you, develop a relationship with these like you, people you've been following for five years, for 10 years. Like that's an insane relationship with someone you don't know. That's a, you know, micro content creator. No, absolutely. And I think you see that a lot. You see work that's like this flash in the pan and it, you know, it gets coverage in the trades and it wins its awards and then it's gone forever. And it, I think that's, that is also something we fundamentally believe at trade school, which is like the work that we do is not for us. It's not for creative ego. It's not. So we have fun things to show off and, you know, it, it is truly to drive our clients business and to connect with consumers, which is not always, it, it doesn't always have to be this flashy Hollywood style, long form stuff. It, it is a way to connect with people over time. So I remember having a conversation with someone about like, they kept saying, but how do you know, how do you know if your work is any good? Like it was a, it was a creative leader at a, at a more traditional agency. And he was like, how do you know if a pin is any good? And I said, well, the, the, it's not, you know, the, if you are measuring a pin on Pinterest to a 30 second, you know, Anthem spot, those two things are not the same. And, you know, the way that that Anthem spot is connecting with someone, you know, changing their hearts and minds or, or connecting with them emotionally is a, is again, that to me is a megaphone versus the pin could be a nursery decor pin from the Home Depot that, you know, a very tired mother, which I know you relate to is trying to at three o'clock in the morning, make a board to get ready for her, her baby's new room. And that is a, that's still an emotional connection. That's still your, the brand is still showing up for that customer in that way. It's just a different format. And I think the way that, I mean, customers today are voracious about the amount of content they consume. We all know this, like the need to like feed that beast and meet people where they are is sort of never ending. And so that, again, that volume and that scale, that great brands who have become basically publishers at this point, you know, they need to feed that beast. And so they need partners like us and others to be able to create that, create all that work. And, and I think a lot of people say these days, well, you know, you can just automate all of that. Like everything can be, technology can do all of that. But I think that's where we, we kind of sit at the intersection of technology and craft because you can, take an asset and resize it and version it and copy test a bunch of different things. And, and, and we, we do a lot of that at trade school. And that's a really important part of, again, the efficiency, but you have to maintain the voice of the brand, you know, to your point, this is a relationship. You have to connect with the customer and be who you are to them. You can't, you know, just slice and dice assets and say, well, you know, now, now it goes off into the ether. It still has to, you have to protect the, the brand and protect the craftsmanship. So I think when we say we're an integrated content shop, we sort of sit at the intersection of the automation of content with, with the craftsmanship. Well, so this, this goes back to, you know, your, uh, your days, um, ghostwriting for, for Barbie, I think a little bit here, because, you know, people who, who say things like, well, how do you know if this works? And I always go back to like, 
it's pretty simple. It's like, is this helpful? Yes or no. Mm-hmm. Is it entertaining? Yes or no. Like, is it funny? Yes or no. And if you're not the person who would buy Barbies, it's like, you should go talk to someone who does buy them and ask them, is this helpful or funny or entertaining? Um, and figure that out pretty quick. But I do think that a lot of times marketers make stuff for themselves on a medium that they enjoy rather than making things for the people that are their audience that they want to that they want to sell to on the on the mediums um, and the platforms that they're on, and you know we we deal with this a lot making B two B stuff. But at the end of the day, in your gut, you have to say like, is this really good work, and is this thoughtful and interesting, or is this and not not that it needs to be complex, but is this really good work that you're proud of and that that is helpful to people or interesting or entertaining. And if it is, then you're, you're probably on the right track. But if you try to do something that's like inauthentic or, uh, you know, like everybody can't be Wendy's Twitter feed, right? Like you just, it's really hard to replicate that stuff. Um, but if you're making, you know, a really good asset, then, then that's a good way. And if you can't do that stuff, a find a partner who can help you do that or B find an influencer who you can piggyback and support them to create great stuff. Cause that's the other piece of this is there are literally millions of people now that are all creating stuff that is funny and interesting and has a point of view and has a micro audience or whatever you want to call it, uh, Mm -hmm. a small audience. And you could help them make great stuff with a little bit of resources. I promise they could make it, make it better or or longer or uh, faster or more volume or whatever. Yeah, no, totally. And going back to your definition of great content. I totally agree. I mean, is it thoughtful? Is it helpful? Is it entertaining? And and the definition of those things has changed, right? So like if it, if it means something to someone in some way, then you're, you've been successful in that endeavor. And and I think we used to have a, a more narrow definition of what good meant in our industry. So, and I agree on influencers. People ask me all the time, like, who are your competitors? Who are you worried about? Who's kind of nipping at your heels? And I, for a year now have said, it's not a it's not necessarily another agency or a production house it's influencers i mean because they hold in their hands and with their iPhones you know essentially what used to require a $30,000 camera um so they can create they've got editing technology you know it's more than just the ring lights but the democratization to use another horrible buzzword of content creation you know is no more evident anywhere than than there and so influencers connecting directly with brands we do a ton of influencer marketing work at trade school and i, I think there's a a huge place for agencies and shops to be able to help facilitate that work but there are there are thousands millions you know and the way that the sophistication with which they are now working with brands and and creating content is pretty impressive. So I totally agree there. Yeah. Any tips on on influencer, how to build those relationships or how to make something great? I know that the the two things that are always at odds here are the company at the end of the day wants it done their way and they really don't want to compromise. Uh, and their compromise is, is usually uh, like 2%. And, you know, the uh, agency is like, we were thinking more like 50% because uh, <laughs> what, you know, and then the creator gets like this, you know, gets burnt out because they're like, this is just not my show or this is not how I create anymore. So there's, there's at odds yes. there. So any, any, any tips yeah. here? So I think a lot of brands think of influencers as just as like a, 
different version of talent that they can sort of boss around and say, here's what, how we want it to look and here's what we want it to be. But that's not at all, you know, why you work with influencers. The, the fact that they've created their following, their, their own brand, their own, you know, creation process is why you want to work with them. So when you start to water that down in any way as a brand, you're, you know, you're, you're breaking the very thing that you're buying. So we, we work really closely. We have, a, we have an influencer marketing team of, a, of about 10 full-time employees, and they are very thoughtful and, and protective, quite frankly, of the influencers that we work with and how we can leverage everything that is, you know, impactful and powerful about their brands and create the right projects and the right processes for them to be able to partner with our clients. So if you set those expectations early, if you are, if you educate your clients about, you know, all the right reasons and the right ways to work with influencers, it's a much smoother process. There's way less of that, like, well, instead of the 2%, it's more like we, we understand what we're buying. So we're going to let them partner with us in the most authentic way. And the other thing is like influencers are very, very savvy about how to work with brands. Half of them have their own representation. You know, they're, you know, there's this like emerging sort of talent sphere around them that they've become much more sophisticated in how they partner. So it's an emerging and interesting place to play. But the most important thing I think we always try to help educate our clients about is that you're leveraging them for a reason. You know, we can we can go shoot anything and do a custom production with any talent that we want, but the reason why we're partnering with them is because they've built something on their own. And so um, there are really synergistic ways to partner that that work for both sides. Um, and it's just I think it's more about the upfront and how you're setting it up. You've been doing this for uh, for a number of years, and I know you have some amazing campaigns that you've worked on and some campaigns that were maybe your best learning experiences. Uh, can you share one of your favorite campaigns? Yeah. I've talked far too much about, about Home Depot today, but one of the ones that I think we're most proud of is called Built It Pins. And it's a couple of years old now, but um, we, you know, again, consumer insight, audience insight, platform insight, we started there. And you know how people use Pinterest to dream, right? Like it's like these perfect boards of their dream houses that are totally unattainable and that people end up kind of just leaving these unfinished boards and they never they never do the thing that they're there dreaming about. Um, and so built-in pins was rooted in this idea of how to get people to actually do the project, right? So whether it's remodeling a kitchen or you know redoing a bedroom or um, retiling a bathroom. And so we 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 created like a custom campaign that we shot all at once. We had four different room scenes and we actually from a creative standpoint, did this cool treatment where it was almost like we broke the fourth wall. So we made the sets actually look like dimension wise, like an actual pin, you know, that you see on, on your desktop or on a mobile phone. And so, and we had like floating logos that were really made out of real, you know, cardboard and things like that, but that looked like the actual overlays of a pin that you would see online. So anyway, it was, it was this really clever creative treatment rooted in a, in a deep audience inside of how to get people over the hump into their projects. And then again, that content architecture that we created, which was all of the how-to, you know, linking products, they were shoppable. We had to sort of hack the platform at the time there was, we had to combine some technologies to be able to make that happen, but it was sort of the, the best of all of our um, variables in terms of 
customer led insight, but then how do we, you know, how are people engaging with Pinterest? How do we get them to shop at Home Depot? And how do we ultimately provide something that's really educational and inspiring, but that doesn't end at the inspiration that led to the doing, which is Home Depot's whole, whole platform. So I'm really, we're really proud of that one. What about a campaign that's uh, maybe a, a good learning experience or one that didn't go so well? <laughs> that's a great question. I, I should do one that didn't happen at my current agency. <laughs> um, so in general, I think we talked a little bit about this earlier, but brands who are really into culture jacking, which is you know the term you see thrown around in the trades, but, but brands who are really interested in sort of co-opting mainstream, you know, pop culture content or inserting themselves into the conversations, the cultural zeitgeist. Um, I, I think that's a really tough place to play unless you have a really good reason to be there, right? In my career and with clients have have done that unsuccessfully. You know, it's like, oh, this this crazy thing is happening. Let's hurry up and whip up a, you know, a tweet or a Instagram story to, you know, sit at the table and when you're not invited to the table, it's just awkward. So I think that there are brands who have cultivated that place in culture or who just naturally belong there because of their products or services. And then there are a lot of brands who, you know, again, there's these moments in advertising and in particularly in social or viral advertising that clients are still, some clients are still referencing like, you know, the Old Spice campaign or the Oreo Super Bowl or, you know, the Arby's Pharrell hat. There's these moments. And th- those things to me are, are lightning in a bottle. And it's not something generally that you can, you can just create out of thin air or will into existence through brute force. You have to have the relevance as a brand to, to be able to participate in those conversations. So, you know, it's not a specific campaign, but brands who who are dead set on culture jacking when they when they really, you know, don't belong there. I think that's a that's a tough way to go. Yeah, I mean at the end of the day it's like like Oreos are Oreos, right? <laughs> like the, it's yeah. like Arby's is, you know, selling sandwiches with a lot of meat on them. Like a lot of these companies, you know, Wendy's is a fast food chain. Like a lot of these companies that that do that stuff really well, at the end of the day they just don't have a very serious product and they can kind of not be taken super seriously because it's like, you know, it's an account for, you know, for food. Like it's just not that, that big of a deal. Right. And I think just a lot of companies just kind of misinterpret where they're at in that kind of hierarchy. And then at the end of the day, you know, this is back to the, like, is the content good thing? Is the stuff that you're doing actually funny or interesting, or is it just kind of lame is uh, at the end of the day, it's gotta be good. Yeah. And, and I mean, I always wonder too, like, are, are those things actually moving those clients' businesses or not? You know, it's, it's interesting, like being culturally relevant is great, but not, not if you're not, if you're not hitting sales comps and you're not like, I, I always wonder what the measurement strategy is for some of those things. Cause I, I think, you know, there's the halo effect and there's the, the relevance piece, but um, again, it's not really tying to a customer's need state or, you know, to your point, you, to use your words, helpful or interesting. I guess it is entertaining. So there's a different currency there. But I think you have to be pretty a pretty specific brand to play that game. Yeah, but it's like, is it right? Like, is it really entertaining? And like, that's the thing I think with a lot of like, you know, campaigns where it's like, you know, with ad campaigns on TV... They're commercials, right? They're literally right. interrupting our life. It's not like we're, you know, people, even when you like commercials, um, it's still something that like 
people pay millions of dollars now to avoid these things. So like, <laughs> it's still something that like, we don't really want to sit through anyways. And we would just right. do away with them all if we could. So like, you know, you kind of have to take these things and, and think of it that way. And I think for so long, the advertising industry was just built on, you know, the fact that like this is kind Captive of Captive audience. Right. So it's like, yeah, but hostage. <laughs> it doesn't mean that doesn't mean it's good. Um, right. The best commercial in the world. Um, I think for a lot of times advertisers were like, but but it's so meaningful to people. It's like, yeah, but people would also just scrap it if they didn't, if they could. Yeah. I think I think marketers sometimes live in an echo chamber and we, you know, like we listen to our own, you know, stories and our own people get caught up in that stuff in a way that I, sometimes I try to remind myself, like, would my friend who was not in advertising or my mom, like care about the Burger King wars? Do they actually think that's funny? You know? And I think sometimes as marketers, we're like, it was on, it was on ad age. It, they talked about it at can. And, but really like, I'm not sure that it's resonating with the, you know, general public in the same way, but commercials is, is a really funny thing. I, I have three young kids and they, you know, obviously their viewing habits, consumption habits of, of television and media are so different. They watch nothing but streaming services. And so the other day, and, you know, I think we have premium subscriptions or whatever to the ones that they watch, but my son was watching real live TV with his grandparents and a commercial came on and he was so distraught about what was happening that he, he like literally burst into tears. He was like, what happened to my show? And I was laughing, thinking like, oh my God, this, this kid's never even seen a commercial. And like how <laughs> his visceral reaction to that disruption is, is pretty telling, you know, based on, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure then the next several generations will have the same, you know, there, there won't be a welcome disruptor. <laughs> there will be just get the hell out of my feet. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. Which means that you got to take all that creative juice and, and put it into uh, different types of content. Exactly. Stuff that people actually would want to watch and subscribe to. Okay, Jenna, well, it's, uh, we're coming up on uh, time here. You have a lot of stuff to do. Let's get to our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. Marketing's Trends is brought to you by Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Marketing in the world's number one CRM. Lightning round questions. Jenna, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Number one, if you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? I really would rather be a firefighter. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The logistics and the bravery and the, I, I am obsessed with that entire enterprise. And I think it's the most interesting, wonderful profession. I'm not necessarily brave enough to be in it. And now that I have children, definitely wouldn't do it. But I, I admire the hell out of all firefighters. Favorite book or podcast or TV show you've been checking out recently? I am really into Glennon Doyle's new podcast. It's there's only a few episodes, but she I find her fascinating, and I've really enjoyed her latest episodes. What's next for you? What's next for Trade School? I hope that we can continue to grow and scale um, in a really healthy way, and that we attract a new generation of makers and awesome people to work with. But more than anything, I, I just want to help build a company that people want to work at and that they enjoy doing what they do every day. And that's really important to me. I mean, what we do is 
is super important and I'm really proud of it, but mostly, you know, who you do it with and how you do it is I think a good life's purpose since we're going to spend so much time at these jobs of ours. I'd, I'd like to enjoy it and have and create a place where other people can enjoy it. Awesome. Well, that's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks so much for joining. We really appreciate you coming on. Always fun talking content. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, I appreciate the time so much. I would love to hear, you know, we can connect and you tell me what ads you get served as your baby grows and, and how accurate they are. Oh I think my that's gosh. A really interesting. The freaking <laughs> choking ads. Oh my gosh. Ugh, those that are the is worst. Horrible. But do you have the D choker? Because it is super cool. You need to get that. No, I don't. So I probably should. <laughs> we'll talk about that. <laughs> probably should buy it. Well, he's not old enough yet for solid food. So I probably. You're good. You're good. I probably good. do need to You can wait on that. Though. You're going to get some sequential advertising on that one. Oh, that's really funny. Um, yeah. No, the, the, the baby ads are. Um, it's wild. You search for one swaddle and uh, every single... I every, mean, they every... just get you. They oh, know yeah. exactly where you are and what you need next. I'm so, I, I want to compare notes on that, especially yeah. in the infant phase. That's when they reel you in. Oh, yeah. I know. We got... We I think we have about five different kinds already. Jenna, thanks so much for joining. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Ian. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages 
to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.